there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Um, I am, if I sound excited, if there sounds like there's a little tingle in my voice, that's because I just got done, actually, with the interview that you are about to hear. And um, it was a treat. Um, it was a real treat. So if you've been on Twitter, if you have um, watched the Nick game at all this season and seen the commercials on MSG, if you have been to MSG um, in the recent future or in the recent past um, or any time this season, you saw his, he has a little billboard up. Um, I talked to very longtime Nick fan, Greg Armstrong. Um, he is a, a little bit of a minor celebrity in some circles, as he should be, because he is certainly uh, my embodiment of um, the a true Nick fan. He's been rooting for the team for almost 50 years, been a season ticket holder for almost 27. You know, and as uh, basketball has, you know, there's not a whole lot of Knicks news right now. And I'll, we're, I got some more draft prospect stuff lined up, but we still got a bunch of weeks of the draft and even longer until free agency. So I, I really wanted to try to continue to get some different guests on the pod and get some different, you know, get a different feel. Um, because I, it, like, I love talking to people who analyze basketball for a living and people who coach it and people who used to play it or whatever. But, um, I have to say talking to Greg about, you know, almost half a century as a Nick fan and those memories and experiences, um, it was, uh, it was a good reminder of why I, I, do this <laughs> every, every day. Um, because he, he just, you know, he bleeds orange and blue and it's, uh, it's, it's really cool um, to, to hear. And I think you're going to really enjoy the conversation. So, um, without further ado, I present to you the Nick fans, Nick fan, the one and only Greg Armstrong. All right. Welcoming now to the Nick's film school podcast. If you have watched a Nick game in the last, uh, well, at any point this season, the odds are that you have seen this gentleman because um, he finally got a well-deserved commercial spot on MSG Network. Um, that hey, Listen, that's what happens when you are a 27-year season ticket holder and a 47-year fan. My goodness, he, I, how he has made it this long, I'm going to ask him about it. Um, he is my personal embodiment of what a Knicks fan is and should be, uh, Greg Armstrong. Greg, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. I can't complain. Just hanging in there. Uh, aren't we all? Um, aren't we all? Um, so you know what? I want to start with the spot. Tell me, cause it's funny. Somebody reached out. I think the guy who produces those commercials reached out to me and JB like a, two years ago and was thinking of doing one of us when we were kind of in the, the nascency of Nick's film school. And it, it didn't end up happening. And then I look up and I see you this season. I'm like, Oh, this is awesome. So how did it, how did it come together? I'm curious. Um, uh, well, actually I got a, a call from, um, from a gentleman that um, that works with MSG Networks. And he said that he was looking for really diehard fans, people that really embody what is, you know, what, you know, the heart of the Knicks is all about. And um, he said that he had been looking, scanning my um, social media post. Oh, okay. And he said that, yeah. And, um, you know, and 
from word around the garden that if, if that's what you're looking for, this is the guy that you might want to check out. So um, he asked me if I was interested in, in, in doing the spot and why wouldn't I be, you know, as a long time fan and, you know, just trying to, um, you know, you know, put my thoughts out there and feelings about what it's like to be a Knicks fan all these years and, you know, to just, you know, unconditionally love the team. You know, it seemed like a no-brainer to me. So, um, yeah, it was uh, quite, an, quite an honor, quite humbling, you know, because, you know, you watch, you watch the games and you go to the games and, you know, you do it just because you love the team. You know, you don't really do it for, you know, any notoriety or anything like that. But uh, it was pretty cool. I think I'm, I, I, it's hard for me to pick out one thing from your fan cave that I like the most. It's funny, the, the uh, framed... Um, George Kaczynski, uh, I'll call it a photo montage that you have. I have the same one framed in my, um, it's not quite, it's, it's more of a Barbie dream house cave than a man cave right now, but, um, <laughs> it, it's, it's hanging there. I think though the gold Ewings might take the cake for me. That's, those are, those are pretty ridiculous. Those are awesome. Yeah, that's uh, that's a, a favorite of mine. And I had an opportunity to have Ewing sign them which really makes them, you know, special to me because when I was, you know, in this fandom, you know, back in the days, it was really hard to get you into sign stuff. Oh, I'm sure. So, um, the fact that, yeah. So the fact that I was able to, you know, to meet him and he was, you know, so gracious enough to sign him for me. And I know what he, you know, what he meant to the franchise and, you know, everything he, he did, but, you know, with me watching him night in and night out, you know, give his all for the franchise. That's, you know, it's definitely a, kind of cool to have that piece of memorabilia i'm hearing you talk about ewing and it occurs to me 27 years so that means was 93 94 your first year as a season ticket holder or was it 92 93 uh actually it was 91 92 oh wow so you're even you're longer yeah it might be it might yeah because if it's well if it's 91 92 then that would i mean geez i think that's 28 29 years well in any case it's a long time and it's from the early 90s what'd you say I said I'm losing count after all of these years, and, and, and with the last few years, I'm who could count. who could blame you? Um, <laughs> but you you started um, becoming a season ticket holder roughly around the same time that I started becoming a fan because I I remember ninety two ninety three that was the first year that I had gotten introduced to the team from um, my dad and actually my dad and my stepdad both were kind of getting into it that year and then 93 94 was when it was like okay every night that they were playing sit parked in front of the couch the whole thing um it it, let's i want to talk about ewing for a second because i feel i do you think he's properly regarded at this point by the fan base you you saw so many of those games in person i i almost feel like he's gotten the short end of the stick in terms of how much he has, right? He has absolutely. I mean, um, you know, the effort and 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 night in and night out, you know, the consistency, you know, the numbers that he put up. I mean, he was like he was automatic, and you know, the fact that he put the franchise on his back after they had been struggling for all those years, and in the nineties, how they became, you know, it was. It was like you could set your clock by. We're going to be in the second, third round in the playoffs every year with a chance to win a championship, you know. And as, now that we look back on it, you know, now we see that you know 
you can't take that for granted. I mean, he was, he was amazing, you know, for me to sit there in my seat and just watch him, you know, and just, you know, the, the energy, the effort. I mean, you know, he gave, he gave you his money worth every night. He laced them up. And I told him that that was the one thing that I wanted to tell him. If I ever had an opportunity to meet him, I just wanted to thank him, you know, for, for just, you know, going out there and just giving his all, his blood, sweat and tears every night. It's funny. I was on a, a, another podcast recently talking about Dwight Howard and, you know, like Dwight Howard has a bunch of, he has a lot of accolades. He has a lot of, he made the all NBA team a bunch of times and defensive player of the year and this and that. But like, I've watched Dwight Howard's career and all due respect to Dwight Howard, He's not Patrick Ewing. On his best day, he's not Patrick Ewing. And yet, I feel like they're gonna, people are gonna look back just based on Ewing's, you know, maybe just the numbers or the fact that he, you know, was never really was that deep into the MVP running other than a couple of years. And like, I feel like that's one of those things where on one hand, I'm like, is this my New York bias? But on the other hand, I'm like, no, I witnessed this. This guy was, he like they don't make them like him anymore and he was he was just special and i don't know and and the fact that he did it here in new york was the other part of it which i obviously i know you appreciate and i think all knicks fans do now because we've seen you know not everybody wants to shoulder that burden which i think has something to do with you know where, where we're at how much do you think that that has to do with where I mean, we listen. We could get into where the why the franchise has fallen on dark times, and I think there's a lot of reasons for it. Do you like having been in the building so much? Do you do you think that it is just there's more of a weight on guys when they come here, and that that scares some folks away? Um, yeah, I think that that definitely you know has something to do with it. I think that you know a lot of these players today don't want to take on the burden of being that, you know, that franchise player in New York. There's more media here. You know, the fans, you know, if you don't produce, they're going to get on you. And a, a lot of these players, they just don't, you know, they can't handle it, you know, or they don't want to deal with it. So I think, you know, that has a lot to do with it. You know, Ewing, the one thing that I heard was that he stood in front of his locker after every game, no matter win or lose, and answered the questions, you know, a lot of guys today, you know, they don't want to do that. Or at least like a lot of the superstar players. The other guy that, that I think did that, you know, admirably and he didn't get the wins. And I think that's part of why his reputation is a little mixed is Carmelo Anthony. You obviously were a season ticket holder for Carmelo's entire career here. Um, Let's start here. Do you want to see him in a Nick uniform again? Um, I mean, I love Carmelo. Uh, you know, he's he's always been nice to me every time, you know, the few times that I met him. And, um, you know, he definitely uh, has a, you know, a, a place in the heart of many Nick fans. But I think right now for his career, I mean, the place where he where he's at in Portland, and it seems like he's in a good situation for him. And I would like to see him stay there if he could. You know, it seems like the, where we're headed and where he's at right now are two different places. And maybe he can get into a situation where he can get a championship over there before he, you know, before he retires. And we're, you know, let's be honest, we're a long way from that. So from that perspective, I think that he might be better off staying out there in Portland. Yeah, I'm, I, I struggle with this because I've like, you know, 
Mellow came along like right in like the, the like the prime of my fandom and I had some I had some harsh feelings towards him I think towards the end and I got over those and I'm more appreciative of him now but at the same time I feel like if he came back here he would still be in the mindset of oh wait this is the Knicks this is my team right and put all that pressure on himself and I just I don't think that's what he needs right now I don't think that's what the Knicks need right now um but I do I do wonder kind of similar to to Ewing where do you where do you because I feel like the the fan base is like pretty is like 50 50 on Mellow the people who were who watched him here the whole time do you th- when you were experiencing it in the garden going to those games every day like even maybe towards the end when the when they weren't winning a lot, do you feel like people had turned on him? The people that were like real good fans that come to every game or where, where do you feel like the, the fan base was on him then? And where do you think it is on him now? Uh, I think it was 50, 50. There was a uh, faction of the fan base that unconditionally loved him no matter what. And, you know, they were in this corner, but it got, it got to a point where toward the end where, you know, um, there was actually times when I could hear in the building where he would be uh, posting up, you know, getting ready to go into one of his patent patented moves, and you could hear groans in the crowd, like people you know, wanted him to just move the basketball, you know, that sort of thing. You know, I think he actually had a um, an issue with a with a fan at one of the games because of that. But um, I, th- you know, there were some fans that felt like, um, you know, um, the whole issue, the whole situation with Jeremy Lin that he may have been kind of a, a reason why he, um, you know, he left town, that the Knicks were going in the right direction. And, um, you know, there's, you know, a lot of people say that he was one of the guys that he really didn't like Jeremy Lin. So that was, that was one thing that I think some fans resented him for. But I think uh, the whole Phil Jackson situation where Phil Jackson pretty much was um, bad-mouthing him and putting him in a bad position, I think a lot of, a lot of the fans rallied around him because – he didn't take the bait. He stood up there and he, you know, he just, you know, answered the questions and didn't really get into all the negative stuff. So I, I give him a lot of credit for that because, you know, they try to make him out to be the scapegoat when, you know, there really wasn't a lot around him. So it really wasn't all his fault. No, the, those those teams were um, <laughs> those teams were awful uh, towards the end. There's no toys about it. And um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not, you know, I don't know if there's anything he could have done personally that really would have made any you know, cognizable difference in like the seasons that didn't go well. Um, but you know, when, when you're the target and teams losing, you know, it is what it is. That's New York, you know, for as much as, well, I mean, you, I'm sure you've met Walt Frazier several times. I'm sure, you know, it's like he is a God, right. And he's always going to be a God here. And, you know, to a certain extent, so will Willis Reed, and like that's everlasting because those guys won it all here. So that's the gift. And then the I, I feel like Mello is more emblematic of the the curse. Um, so wait, forty seven years. So do you remember the second championship? That year, I started watching games on Channel Nine. You know, I remember watching um, you know um, Frazier and, and Phil. Ja- actually, Phil Jackson wasn't on that team, but um, Bradley and. The Busher and Reed and all those guys, but I I vaguely remember, but I I don't actually remember the championship game them actually winning it, but I remember watching that team and then going on from there the the few years going on from there, and um, after that when they started to get 
they started to get old and they started to transition off from that. But that's when I started watching uh, during that season, 73, 73, 74, around that time. If I could like transport myself back to one time in like the history of the city, and I'd love New York City, it would be like the late sixties, early seventies, just to feel what this town felt like when it was like truly a basketball town. Um, first and foremost, like in the, in the mid nineties, I kind of remember it. It would be, you know, how it felt like to be a basketball town, but I feel like in the late sixties, early seventies, that, that, that was probably a little different. And then of course, so you started becoming a fan and then the, the rest of the seventies were not all that great. No, the rest of the seventies, um, it was funny because, they uh, they reverted into um, trying to get star players and just trying to plug them in to try to win now. Like I, I can remember in 1977 when they traded for uh, Bob McAdoo. Oh my God! Yeah. You know, yeah. All right. They had Bob McAdoo and they had Spencer Hayward, which were two great offensive all-star players. Kind of reminds me a little bit of when they had uh, uh, Melo and Stoudemire. I, I was about to say, yeah. But, yeah, so, you know, I thought we were going to win a championship. I was ecstatic. When that moment happened, I was like, yes, we got Bob McAdoo. At that time, he was 26 years old. He was a three-time scoring champion in his prime. And the Buffalo Braves, the only reason why they let him go was because they couldn't afford him. They had money problems up in uh, up in Boston. So they pretty much handed him to the Knicks. I mean, up in Buffalo. Former, so former uh, MVP, right? He won an MVP, I believe, with Buffalo. Yes, yeah. yes he won an MVP also. He was amazing. He was he was like a like a today's big man because he was six nine six ten and you know he was he was shooting eighteen twenty foot jumpers back then so you know he was the type of player that would actually fit in well with today the way the game is played today and you it know, just then, didn't you know, it just didn't work didn't like play. what what was didn't, didn't, well I, I think they both were ball hogs. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. You know, so I think that, you know, they just didn't have it. They just didn't have the chemistry. And then then you had some of the um the, the players from the old Nick championship team were aging. They were still on the team. So, you know, there was a fight between them wanting to play the right way, you know, because the Knicks were, you know, passing the ball, getting everybody involved, hitting the open man. But yet when you pass it to these two guys, they're not, they're not passing. You know, so I think, you know, there was an issue with that. And um, it just it it didn't work. It was just one of those things. It just didn't work. You're gonna laugh, but my I my version of that is when they traded for Stephon Marbury because when they when they <laughs> traded for Marbury, no, it's, I said you're gonna laugh when they traded for Marbury. Um, I was like in my early 20s, and I really you know I I was a fan, but I didn't know the game that well. And I was like, oh my god, they got Stephon Marbury. This is it. We're gonna be. We're gonna win a championship. That's the hundred percent. He's gonna he's gonna you know be the first piece and lead us there. And Penny Hardaway is gonna rediscover his um his Orlando form and like it's you know it's hard. It's just it's hard to get the right the right formula, the right pieces in place. So fast forward a little bit. Um, I I believe you have uh, a picture either with him or, or of him up in that in that commercial. Bernard King. So Bernard King's that was brief. That was, I mean, really, that was more or less two years, right? Two, maybe three years. Yeah, where it was really, yeah. yeah. Like, what was that like it being in the city and rooting for for Bernard King and seeing him live? Oh, that was amazing, Bernard King. Oh, that's that's my favorite Nick. 
Oh, really? Okay. I didn't even know that. Yeah, that was my favorite, Nick. And, you know, I guess because I was still, I was at an age where, you know, I was in high school at the time and I was impressionable. And, you know, I remember when I used to um, pay $6 with my student high school geo card. <laughs> and I used to buy seats up in the blue seats in Madison Square Garden. Oh, the old blue seats. Then, I remember those. Okay. Yeah, the old blue seats. And back then there was no smoking ordinance inside the garden. So the roof of up by the spokes by the ceiling was a was always a cloud of smoke that's the way it used to look you know and then you had people smoking all kind of funny stuff up there you know it was it was, it was pretty interesting but uh no bernard he was just amazing he was a you know he was a scoring machine um he just you know you couldn't stop him i mean you know on the fast break he was he was relentless he had that quick release on the turnaround jumper um, I, I spoke to Rory Sparrow and I asked him, I said, you know, what, what do you think about Bernard King? And he said, Bernard King, he had this thing where he would pivot from his heels and it, from um, into his turnaround jump shot, which made it that much quicker that he would spin and get off that shot before anyone could, you know, contest it. And uh, he was just, he was just automatic and, um, you know, it was just a tragedy when he had that injury. But uh, Bernard King was the man when he when he was there in, in that series in '84 against the Pistons when he had the two dislocated fingers and uh, he's going back and forth with Isaiah Thomas in that epic five-game battle. You know, he pretty much he put the team on his back. You know, Bernard King he was just he was tremendous. So when he so he was 28 when the knee happened. Which is, you know, that's kind of right in the prime of your career. I mean, back then, that was like your prime. I feel like primes happen a little earlier now because guys get out of, um, you know, enter the league at a younger age on average. But that in 84, 85, he was leading the league in scoring at 30, about 33 points a game. And like, he just, he was on the verge of, I mean, I, I don't even know what, what, what his career, if he never got hurt. I feel like that's a great what if that doesn't get talked about nearly enough, but I mean, I, I shudder to think of how that, how that would have gone because, you know, who, I, I guess the figure they still get Ewing like, what are we talking about? Like a dynasty? I mean, it's, it, it's fun to think about and sad, I guess. And tragic. Well, that's the first, that's the frustrating, frustrating thing about it was that, all right, the, the, the that year that he got hurt, um, you know, we, we pretty much tanked, you know, for that, that following season, you know, well, we're, we're, we're already bad and we're able to get Ewing. So the hope was when, you know, when he came back from injury that now you had, you know, you, you had two guys there, you know, but I, I wonder though, if the, if the two of them would have been able to coexist together because they both like kind of had low post games. So I don't know how that would have worked out, but I would have liked to see it, you know, but um, the Knicks, uh, when he kept, when he got back from injury, they just didn't want to pay him. They felt that he was a risk. And I think um, that was around the time that, um, who was the coach? I think uh, Rick Pitino might have been coming in. Oh, okay. And they were looking to do more, you know, and I think they wanted to play a more up-tempo type style. And, you know, with him coming off a knee injury, he wouldn't have been able to do that. So I think that's why they just 
went in another direction. And it's funny because he ended up coming back and he averaged 20, like several more years. And he was, he ever, he ended up averaging, this is absurd to say, he averaged 28 points as a 34 year old and made the all-star team for the bullets. It's like the guy just had scoring in his veins. Um, which, you know, and then to have Melo here 20 years later, um, or I guess, well, yeah, no, a little bit more than 20 years later, 20, 25, 30. So the 90s were the 90s. Um, but by the way, do you, were you, were you in the building for any of the, the finals games in either 94 or, or 99? Absolutely. Let me tell you a quick story about about the '90s, how that whole thing transpired. Please. Um, uh, um, the ninety the ninety one ninety two season was the first year that Pat Riley became the coach. So um, the year before that, I had a friend of mine, and we had a like a, a mini plan. I mean, I, I wasn't making a ton of money back then, and you know, I didn't even think I could afford Nick tickets. So you know, we had bought a a, a mini plan in the ninety ninety one season. And um, that year we got swept in the playoffs by the Bulls. They always show, show that one play on the baseline where Michael Jordan, where he deeks out um, Charles Oakley, oh. Ewing, and goes up on the baseline for the slam. Yeah, I was at that game. Oof. But um, so anyway, I called the Garden and I asked them, um, you know, when I find out that you know Pat Riley is coming on, and you know all, the whole fan base is uh, is excited. So I call, I say, I need Nick tickets. Can I, can, can I get some tickets? And they're like, well, you know, the phones have been ringing off the hook all day long. And I don't know if we have any uh, available tickets left. I think we're all sold out. That's, you know, the excitement that, you know, Pat Riley was bringing. And then the lady says, wait, I think I have a cancellation here for so a pair of tickets in section 338. Um, it's, you know, rope B. Um, would you be interested in taking these seats? And I said, I'll take it. I'll, I'll take them. And the rest is history. I was, you know, I, I, I stood in those seats for the whole, the duration until they re- renovated the garden. I stayed in in those seats. Oh, wow. And for that who, long. Who knew at, yeah. And who knew at that time, you know, I didn't know. I mean, you hope that, you know, Pat Riley would be able to bring his magic, you know, to the Knicks, but that whole era, it turned out to be the golden era. And, you know, for Knicks basketball, even though they didn't well, the second gold is, we know what the real golden era was when they won the championships. But outside of that, I mean, it was amazing. You know, I was everybody's friend. I had tickets, you know, and, you know, the, <laughs> there was a sellout streak. <laughs> I, I, listen, I remember the sellout streak. I remember the sellout streak really well. I was young, but I remember the sellout streak really well. That was, but I, I still remember the time when, so like when I was, I mean, I guess young teenager, um, there, you know, anytime my dad was like, Oh, I got Nick tickets. And I almost looked at him like he was a, like, he, he was like a God. Like I, I, I was like, how did you get Nick tickets? Like you can't get real people don't get Nick tickets. How did you get Nick tickets? And it just, you know, and I think that that's why it was such a trip for me to like cover games because deep down, I'm still the kid that remembers those days that it felt like a, a ticket to the game. It didn't matter where it was, but a ticket to the game was like you were getting an entry into paradise or something. Um, and it was like forbidden for, for actual real human beings. But um, yeah, I, 99 is more my, cause again, 93, 94 was the first, the first year I really watched them. 99 is my, that's my team. Um, and I was in, I was at game four and five 
of that finals because I was lucky enough at the time to have a, a family friend who had a hookup for tickets. And I went to um, I think I think I went to two of the, the OJ Hawk- game. So you must have went to the OJ game. No, 99. I'm sorry. No, no 99. No. I'm yeah. No, I, I was I went to the Haw- they swept the Hawks. I think I went to both of the Hawks games. Um, and then I went to games four and five of the finals and they, they lost both of those, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, that was still that, that run to me is, is always going to be the most magical one. Cause it was just, you know, were you, were you, exp- what, what, what did you make of the 99 run as it was happening? Oh, let me tell you what, that, that was a weird year for me because, you know, that was the, that was, um, you know, the year they had, uh, the lockout. So that was a, a 50 game season. If you remember, I do. you know, um, you know, that season, um, you know, they had a lot of, uh, labor strife before the year and Ewing was one of the guys who was with the, uh, with the union. He worked at, with the players association. He was the president, and, I think. Um, yeah. So, right. He was the president. So, um, he had made some unfortunate comments, you know, so, 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 something on the line of, I got to feed my family, that sort of thing. And, you know, whenever you hear that from, you know, these millionaire athletes, that was kind of a turnoff to a lot of people. I, re- I, re- I, re- I remember that. But um, the fact that it was such a short season and then, um, you know, you had these guys trying to come together as a team. You had uh, um, Screewell and you had, um, you know, uh, Camby on the team and, you know, they couldn't get, they couldn't get a rhythm. They were, they were, you know, they were like a 500 team or below 500 most of the year. And when it comes time for the playoffs, you have to put, pay for playoff tickets like a month before the end of the season. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So in those days you had to pay for, they made the garden. They would make you pay for every possible game up front. (laughs) You know, you had to pay for them to go all the way to the finals. You know, and, you know, at that time, I was like, I don't know if this team is going to, it's going that far. So I decided, I don't think I'm going to buy the playoff tickets this year. Every other year I had, you know, like clockwork, bought the playoff tickets, but I didn't buy the playoff tickets that year. And um, at the end of the season, they won six out of their last eight games. Yep. And that's how they got in the playoffs. And, you know, from, you know, Jeff Van Gundy, you know, and, you know, he was having the battle with, um, Ernie Grunfeld. Oh my gosh! Whether he whether he was going to get fired or you know, as it turned out, he went out and you know Grunfeld was let go. But um, yeah, that was a special time because you didn't know. I mean, you know that that team was. I mean, they had the talent, but they just weren't gelling. And, you know, I, it didn't look like it was going to happen. And then um, eventually, they you know they caught fire. You know that you know that series against Miami. Which you know we you know had the great rivalry with Miami when uh, Houston hit the shot, it was like boom here we go and then from there they swept the Hawks, you know that was you know Camby with that dunk against the Hawks. I tell you, I knew they were gonna take care of business against the Hawks. That was like one of those times where I had irrational. After they beat Miami, I'm like, really the Hawks? The Hawks are gonna beat us? No. And then and honestly, the Pacers didn't even worry me that much because I felt like they were on such a roll at that point. Um, that it was kind of, you know, it was destiny and, you know, it almost was, they ran into a, a buzzsaw in the finals, but, um, man, I'd love, I'd love to watch that team play in today's NBA with Houston and, and Sprewell on the wings 
and then Cammy in the middle. And then, you know, they still were going back and forth between Childs and, and, um, uh, Charlie Ward. And I guess I could see Kurt Thomas developing a nice little corner three in today's game. Probably, probably could, right? Yeah, absolutely. Kurt was dead eye with that, with that, with that J. Yeah. You know, no. He, he could definitely get that shot. Another guy, under, underrated that, great Nick. The funny thing about that, like I told you, I didn't buy the playoff tickets, but I still wound up going to every single playoff game. I would get down to the garden and I would stand on line and I would wait. And they had what was called a cancellation line. Oh, okay. Where, uh, if, where if people, if they didn't, if they purchased tickets and they decided not to go and you were there early enough, you could still purchase tickets. So um, actually the, the first round, I, I think a lot of people didn't believe in the team. It was pretty easy to get tickets. But as the, as the round started going on, when they, you know, seemed like they were for real, in the conference final, it was difficult to get tickets. So I wound up um, scalping tickets for game six, 99, the clincher. And okay. That was the game. That was the game that Allen Houston, he played out of his mind that game. That was, you know, it was really like his, to me, it was like his coming out party as a Nick. And I could scout these tickets and I'm sitting next to a, a gentleman and a lady and I look over and it's Rick Fox. I, I bought some really, <laughs> me and my boss. We, we scalped some courtside, some seats, maybe like seven, eight rows back from the court. And we're sitting next to Rick Fox and Vanessa Williams. Oh, my goodness. Right? Yeah, it was, it was weird. You know, and uh, the, Lakers had, the Lakers had got knocked out of the playoffs that year. So uh, early. I, they, so, I, I'm, that I'm, was the Kobe. Was that the year Kobe put up the air balls against Utah? Or maybe I'm confusing that with the year before. Um, but, yeah, I remember they, they lost in, like, the second round that season. Yeah, yeah. So I'm ripping Rick Fox all game long, and uh, he's good natured with it. It was all in fun, but um, yeah, that that was fantastic. You know that moment, and it was funny too because I ran into Herb Williams' brother before the game, and he was looking to sell some tickets. Oh my god! So actually, yeah, I swear to God, he was he committed to sell me a pair of tickets, and then at the last minute he backed out because he said if my brother ever finds out that I sold these tickets to a fan. <laughs> he killed me. <laughs> oh, that's phenomenal. I, I actually forgot Herb was on, was still on the team at that. That had to, I have to look it up. That, that might, I had to be his last year. Um, yeah. That's, so that, was, that was pretty good. That's for, I mean, that's, but, uh, I'll, I'll always remember that as the Canby series. That's to me, that's, that's, you know, and yeah, I think yeah, yeah, Larry, was, Larry Bird even said Marcus Canby was the best player in yeah. the series. So let me get to the, um, the four point play. I was in the building. For that I was about play. to ask. Yeah. And, yeah. And, um, you know, we're thinking we're going to lose We're we're down three points. I think it's, I think it's like maybe 11 seconds left in the game at that point. And I'm pretty much just resigned to the fact that we're going to lose this game three. It was game three of, of the series. We had split in Indiana. And, um, you know, when he hit that shot, I swear the building was shaking. I mean, I never felt Madison Square Garden shake before. I've heard it really loud, but you know, I was in the uh, in in the upper portion of the building, and it was like an earthquake. I mean, that's how you know the reverberations, you know, from when he hit that shot, and <sighs> um, you know, it was just you know, it was just amazing. Every time I see him, you know, I always tell him, "Man, thank you, thank you for that, man. That was that. That's your moment. You know, they, you know, he was able to, to, to get that shot to go." 
was it was unbelievable. I got to I got to interview him on this pod um like a year or so ago and I asked him about the play and he um <laughs> he told me he reenacted the play and then he said he's like and you know and after the play you know Chris got me and he's like motherfucker you better make that free throw and so <laughs> and so I end the interview and not two minutes not two minutes th- 20 seconds after the interview's over I get a text from um I won't say who, but someone with the Knicks, uh, kindly asking me if I would, uh, wouldn't mind, uh, editing, uh, that portion of the interview. And I, I, I agreed, but whatever. It's been over a year. I figure I could say it now. Um, yeah. So that's, I mean, geez, LJ, he was the best. That team was the best. You know, the thing about it was just so unexpected. You know, the fact that you didn't expect that run. And that they went on it, even though, you know, when they got to the finals against San Antonio and Ewing was out and um, they just didn't have enough size. You knew it was going to be an uphill battle for them to win. But, you know, but still, that was that was that was so, so much fun. That probably was the funnest year, the way it ended, the way, you know, from the playoffs on. It was, it was amazing. The thing that struck me is like, I you know, I, again, I was in the building for game five. And, um, Sprewell had 37 points out of, I think, like 78 or something that they scored that he had like half their points. It's insane. And, um, he, but he missed the last shot, um, cause they were like triple teaming him. Um, and, you know, buzzer sounded. I remember I stood up on my chair and I just like applauded. It didn't, it like I, they lost and like you didn't get that exaltation of them winning a championship, obviously, but it didn't feel like a loss, if that makes any sense. A lot of people stood up. If I remember correctly, I was there. I was there. A lot of people, the fans didn't leave the building right away. They gave the team an ovation. Yeah. I remember that. Fortunately, I was on the other baseline where um, Avery Johnson, when he hit that shot, I was uh, not too far. <laughs> That's right, because they were actually leading the game before that, I think, right? Yep. Ugh. Exactly. Yep. I, and he hit that shot. I remember me and my game winner. Me and my dad that night. Um, I don't know if you remember this. Ewing. So obviously Ewing was hurt. He missed the series, but like he had. It was like a I don't know a minute or so before tip off, or two minutes, a couple minutes before tip off, and Ewing still hadn't come out. And my dad was like, oh, my God, I wonder if this is going to be a Willis Reed moment. And I'm, I was getting excited. And then, you know, it ended up playing. Yeah. And then, you know, things started to head where they headed. And it's been it's been a lot of years. Um, be, be honest with me, because I'll, I'll be honest. I've I've had you're you're older and wiser than me. So I have allowed myself as a naive young man and as a naive older man to be duped into believing that they had this thing figured out, not figured out. Let me rephrase that, that they were genuinely on the right course at various times over the last 20 years. And I believe that again, we'll see, we'll, we'll talk about that before we get out of here. But did you at any point over the last 20 years really up until Rose, did you have any real hope or were you always more dubious than you were like, you know, thinking that like this was, you know, where it was really going to start to turn around? Um, I want to say when, um, you know, when they, when they got Carmelo, you know, and, uh, you know, in, in 2013, when, when Woodson seemed like he had the team going in the right direction, I thought, you know, we, you know, I mean, we were, we were getting close. I mean, we beat the Pacers that year. 
you know, we were, we were headed on an upswing. So, you know, and the fact that it, you know, went back down so fast the other way, you know, but, you know, as a Knicks fan, you're always hopeful. You always think that, you know, things are going to get better. You know, you know, the new regime comes in, they're going to, you know, when Phil Jackson came, I thought, you know, this is the Zen master. He's going to bring us back. And, you know, that turned out to be a disaster. Donnie Walsh, you know, I thought, you know, he, he did a good job, you know, flushing he did. things out from the era, era, you know, clean things up. So there was, there were, there were a few times along the way, because people always ask me, dude, how do you stay loyal to this team <laughs> after all these years? What's wrong with you? You know, and I just tell them, man, you know, you gotta, you, you gotta stick with it. You know, it's in my heart. You know, when you follow a team from when you're a kid, you know, you're not going to just give up like that. You know, and when, from what I experienced in the nineties, so much euphoria, I'm still waiting for that to come back. Cause that was, that was an amazing time. That was, that was something that it's like a, it's like a drug. I always say. Oh, I think that's accurate. I can't, yeah, I can't get it out of my system. It's amazing to me because that's in my, it's in my veins too. And it's amazing to me when I talk to fans who have just like younger fans who have just started rooting for the team in like, I mean, there's fans now that like, they, they started following the team after like 2012, 13. Like, you know, if you're, if you're a young teenager now, if you're like 18, for instance, or 17 or 18, it's like you were a kid when 12, 13 happened. And, and yet, you know, like Chris Persianen, who, who does, you know, the mailbags with me and he's made a nice little name for himself. Like, you know, <laughs> 12, 13 was half a lifetime ago for him. And yet he's a diehard fan and there are still diehard fans. And I just, it's, it's amazing to me because they never experienced, you know, certainly what you experienced and even what I experienced, um, you know, and now here we are. Um, so here's what I'm going to do before, before I let you go, I'm going to give you for the next couple minutes, you are the Knicks. You are, you are Leon Rose. You're, you're making the decisions. Give me a couple things that you feel pretty strongly that they should do or should try to do this off season before next year. Um, okay. Well, I've been kind of, I've been kind of torn between, you know, the whole add another veteran, you know, everybody's been talking about, you know, bringing in a Chris Paul, that type of acquisition to kind of, you know, shock the culture of the franchise and maybe to, you know, bring up the professionalism and maybe we can get these young guys to play better. Or should we just, you know, we have a ton of draft picks, you know, keep, keep building with these draft picks. We have a better player development staff now that, you know, you would hope that we can coach these guys up and maybe if we can get, we can hit, on, you know, one or two RJ and another of, of these draft picks that could put us in a, in a good position that we could get a free agent in a couple of years. So I'm kind of leaning toward that way because I've been listening to a lot of your stuff and, you, you know, and the fact that even if we get a Chris Paul with the league, a lot of the teams are going to be better than they were last year. We may not see much improvement anyway. So it might be better off for us to just stay on the path of developing and drafting and next year's draft, as we know, is supposed to be one of the great drafts. So we, you know, most likely we can get a, you know, another diamond in the rough, you know, and just build these young guys up. You know, we got a lot of, 
young guys that I still see potential in these guys. You know, even even somebody like Kevin Knox. You know, I know he's I was about, I was about to ask because you got you got the picture with him in your in your man cave, so I had to ask about him. You know, I see him. I've seen him maybe three, four times, random Nick events, and every time I see him, I tell him, "I'm not giving up on you, kid. I'm not giving up on you." And you know, he's such a he's such a nice kid. You know, you 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 hope that you know, you know, he could put it together because you know, physically his body, he's got a great NBA body. I mean, he's you know. And his shot, when he has it going, you know, there were times where he's shown flashes that he could actually, you know, he could be a pretty decent ball player, you know. But, um, you know, I'm hoping with um, Kenny Payne coming in, you know, from when his Kentucky days, he'll be able to, you know, maybe jumpstart him. You know, we got some good Johnny Bryant. We got some good developers now. So maybe DSJ, maybe we can get him up and running. You know, Frank, you know, I know you're a big Frank supporter. I mean... He's a good you know, kid. He's a, he's a he's a he's a nice young man. That's all it is. He's a nice young nice. man. He is a he is a nice man, young man. I love Frank. Frank is a he's 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 another one. He's like um like Knox. He's such a good he's such a good kid. He's just a, you know, and you know, and the fact that Tibbs is coming in with you know the defensive principles, you know, he should fit right in. So you know, I want to see these young kids grow. I want to see what they can do with these young kids, and then hopefully we can hit on a couple of them. Then maybe we can, you know, get you know a more established player to come. But right now, a lot of these free agents, they're not going to come here anyway. No, Nobody they're not. Nobody wants to come to a losing team, you know. So why even, you know, bang our head against the wall, dreaming that that guy is going to come? Like I hear people already saying, "Oh, we're going to get Giannis next year." Dylan, you know, I'm like, come on. I don't <laughs> even. I mean, come on. Listen, you're optimistic. I'm optimistic. I I don't want to. I just I don't want to hear it. I just, I just don't. I, I, just, I just, it's not, it's not a thing that we should talk about at all. Um, I, you know what? There's a part, I'm, I'm always honest on this podcast, right? And I will, I will admit that like part of me wonders if, if me now, cause I'm kind of pro Paul at this point, but I, I almost wonder, is that me? Just like setting myself up for like, okay, the offseason is going to go one of two ways. We're either going to trade for Chris Paul or not. And I'm just setting myself up for whatever happens. I'm going to be, I'm going to be cool with it. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be excited. Um, I, th- I look, I, I've talked about it a lot. I think there's arguments for both sides, but I, the, in my, in my heart of hearts, if they went the route that you're saying and they just tried to, to give it a go with the kids, right? I would, yeah, I'd mm-hmm. be, I'd be super excited. I mean, I, and who, who wouldn't be? I, I, I really, I, I wonder, like, how could you not be excited to see what Tibbs could do with the kids? And then, of course, you know, it, you start three and thirteen, and things are going sideways because they don't have any really good players. And then that's when it gets tough, and that's when you, it could test your, you know, what kind of culture are you building when the losses start piling up? But listen. These guys know what they're doing, right? Like people have come from successful organizations. Leon Rose has seen it all. Um, I famous last words, but I, I trust these guys. I do. I trust them. I trust Tibbs. Um, and I'm 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 excited. What is there? Is there like one? Is there one thing you're really excited about for whenever we do get Knicks basketball again? One player. One one. Anything that you're really excited to see? I'm, I'm I'm excited to see RJ next year. Okay. You know, I I think that yeah, I think I think that um, after the snub that he received from the um, you know, with the uh, all rookie, all rookie team, yeah. not making an all rookie team, 
you know, I, I know he's a, he's a driven young man and that he wants to, you know, he, he wants to be a great player. He's putting in the work. You know, I, I really, you know, I'm really excited about seeing his growth on the tips, under, you know, a coaching staff with guys that could kind of, you know, get it out of him. I mean, we got, we making, we made a heavy investment in him as a number three pick and we need, we need him to, we need to hit on, we need to hit on RJ. So, you know, I'm excited about that. I think I agree. There's, there's no world like he has to, yes, we have, we have to hit on RJ. I don't know what hitting (laughs) on RJ Barrett is going to look like exactly. And I've, I've been skeptical of how high his ceiling is, but I think we're in agreement that like he like he has to continue to progress and, and reach whatever that ceiling is for this to go well, you know, from here, because you're right. We invested a lot into him. Um, I think I'm, I'm, I'm I think I might be most excited to see Mitch, if I'm being honest. OK, OK. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's right. He's right there. Yeah. You got no argument with me on that one. Yeah, Mitch, the sky's, the sky's the limit for Mitch. Mitch under Tibbs. That's that's what I want to say. Um, Whoa, man. Yeah, it, it could be it could be scary. Um, Greg, this was a this was an honor and a, a pleasure. I gotta say, seriously, you are you are like listen. You, give me all Spike Lee that you want. You are a Knicks fan's Nick fan, right? It's like Michael Beasley. I'm your favorite player's favorite player. You are a Knicks fan's Nick fan. Um, and I think that should be commended. It should be celebrated. And, um, somehow you still have on, you don't even have a thousand Twitter, Twitter followers yet. I know Twitter is not the be all end all, but come on, people. What are you doing? This is Greg Armstrong here. Like, we got to get you over, over a thousand. Can we, can we make that happen? <laughs> to be honest with you, if it happens, it happens. You know, for me, you know, it's all about, you know, the love for the team. You know, the, the real fans that I come in contact with, they, they know. They, they know what I'm about and who I am, you know. But, you know, it'll, you know, all in time, it'll come. You know, my, my, my Twitter handle is Greg Armstrong 01 For anyone who would like to take the time to, uh, you know, converse with a, with a, you know, a diehard fan, I'll leave it up to that. I always went when, cause I still keep all my notifications on for Twitter. So, uh, whenever I get a response from you, I'm like, Ooh, Greg, Greg replied to me. I'm like, okay, I got to take the time to see what he said. I get very excited. Um, and- I appreciate, I appreciate you for you. You, you normally always reply. So it, it makes me feel, feel good that, you know, that you take the time to, to answer me if I ask you a question. It, it makes me comment. feel good that you take the time to read whatever nonsense I, I wrote about it a particular day or, or <laughs> that I potted about. And if I ever, if I ever don't reply, it's, it's only because I didn't see it because I'm busy running around chasing my uh, four-year-old um, as she, as she wrecks havoc on uh, all, all things around her. Um, this was great. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Seriously. I, I hope um, that I get to see you at the garden. I mean, I don't know what things are going to look like next season, but you know, we'll see my fingers are crossed. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what's going on there. They're talking about January, you know, and I don't know if that's going to include fans. I guess, you know, the virus was still, you know, beholden to the virus to see how this thing goes. But, um, you know, um, let's, let's keep our fingers crossed. We need to get back in that building. That building is special, you know, and hopefully uh, these, these, this new regime will give us a team that we can get behind and we can all cheer for. We're all Knicks fans. 
something that we really need, especially in these tough times. So let's keep our fingers crossed that that could happen. I just want to give a quick shout out. Yes, I please. Quick shout out. I got a couple of my couple of my buddies, Frank Nutt, Sean Aquino, and Peter Arturi. We used to do a podcast in 2013, right? And we didn't really go far with it. But the thing I, that I like to say to stress is that you guys, the, the work that you're doing is unbelievable. And um, all the Knicks fans, it's, it's definitely good to have, you know, this avenue to, to listen to you guys. You put out such great content. I just want to thank you and your crew. Wow. Uh, such a wonderful job of putting all the information out there for Knicks fans. Well, um, thank you, one. And two, the only reason that um, I am doing what I'm doing is because this fan base is, is as passionate as it is. And you're as emblematic of that as anything. Um, if uh, if they, I, I, I swear, if they let even, if they let one fan in per team, how far that should, that's what they should be doing. It's like the hunger games, except it's like a good thing. You, you should, you should be the one, you should be the one fan that they let into the games next season. I think that would be perfect. Um, awesome. Okay. This is great. Um, I'll, I'm sure I'll talk to you on Twitter soon, but, um, thanks again for coming on. Have a, a fantastic rest of the night. And, uh, I hope, uh, I hope all is well in the, in the near and distant future. All right. Thanks for having me, John. I'll talk to you soon. Right? Be well. 